Hello, friends. Welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Michael Carey, your host today, and our special guest is Carol Sheets, aka Carol the Coach. In fact, I know so many so many guys that I talk to that have received professional help from Carol. I think they don't know your last name. It's Carol the Coach. That's all they know you by. So, Carol is a licensed counselor, certified coach, along with multiple other certifications in the area of helping those struggle with unwanted sexual behavior and the betrayed partner. She is an author. She has a podcast, a radio show called Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And I'm sure there's so many other things that that I'm missing and we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, welcome, Carol. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much. I feel so blessed because we live within 15 minutes of each other. So we really locally know each other, know each other's work and, and share some of the same people, some of the same clients and some of the same professionals. How lucky are we? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's right. And um, I adore your wife. <laughs> <laughs> we have that in common as well. Yeah, yes, there right. you go. That adoration, right? <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know when I moved from Chicago to central Indiana that uh, I would be surrounded by so many great people. And that's the reason we stay here. <laughs> well, and I get um, that because I'm from Chicago originally. So it's a long, long time ago, but it's all Midwest. But any Indianapolis has a special feel to it. I love mm-hmm. it here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, excuse me. Um, Some of the topics that we're going to talk about are the main topic, um, I would say, uh, is uh, IRCAM, this process. And um, but there's there are so many different things. And one of the big deals that you specialize in is empathy and training, helping uh, those who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior develop empathy. I think. there's that that uh, label guys traditionally suck at empathy and that's um, I think it is true in so many parts but for sure when it comes to guys who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior that's a big problem and having empathy for their partners when they're going through a crisis and uh, behavior has been discovered um, is is difficult to navigate and manage and so so many people have benefited from your workbooks and your training and your coaching, of course. Mm -hmm. So what I'd love to just start out with this question, what led you to specialize in this specific area of help? Well, um, I worked for a large conglomeration, a, a medical conglomeration, and they didn't have anybody who specialized in sex, gender identity, sexual compulsivity, and I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants working with people. And actually it worked because what I found is people just really needed to talk and be authentic as to what was going on inside of them and we could work things out. When it came to sex addiction and problematic sexual behavior, I didn't really know what to do. And I was getting a lot of calls from the schools Um, regarding kids that were performing sexual acts on the playground, on the buses. Mm -hmm. And as if that wasn't tough enough, other kids were videotaping them. 
And so superintendents all over the state were calling me saying, what do we do? How do we stop this behavior? How do we address it? And how do we improve uh, the sexual health of our kids? And I realized, wow, that was a big question, a big ask. And so I went ahead and got my certification in sex addiction. Now, the bad news is they really hadn't developed um, an elementary, a school age, uh, an adolescent program treating this kind of behavior at that point. So I was still flying by the seat of my pants. But what I did find was that so many of the kids had was, witnessed pornography mm. at their home yeah. and from their mothers or fathers. And so I said, well, let me start with the parents and then see how that evolves. And actually I started with men and they got better very quickly because there were so many resources for people to suffer with compulsive mm. sexual behavior. Um, and that was wonderful, but the wives were in the fetal position on the floor because as you mentioned earlier about discovery, when yeah. a couple has to go through the discovery process, it is absolutely heartbreaking and earth shattering. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of went from working with sex addicts to wanting to pull the partners in and working with couples and I actually left the kids behind and developed a, a different niche. And Michael, I don't know what you think, but I knew I had to work with them relationally and I had to help him with his own individual recovery. And if I was going to do the relational work, he had to have empathy and really work that skill. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if a man didn't possess empathy from the get-go, so then this discovery process and sex addiction made it really hard because she was so traumatized. Yeah. Or if he had empathy and the addiction robbed him of that, yeah. shipped away at that. What do you think? Do you think men, that the men you've worked with possessed empathy to begin with and lost it or probably didn't learn it in their own family of origins. Right. And I think that that stereotype can be really true. The um, It's not modeled to us growing up, you know, the um, for so many of us, um, what's modeled to us is pull yourself up by the bootstraps, get over it, you know, move on, toughen up, uh, don't cry. I mean, we think that in this day and age, maybe that's not as prevalent, but it really is. It still is. Um, and it's it's crazy to hear these stories of men that are just in their 30s that still go through that, that's, that have still went through that, you know, 20s and 30s, and have heard the same things that I that I heard in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I, I think that it is deep down inside. I think the desire to have empathy is down there, but it just doesn't know how to come out. He doesn't know how to express it. But then it's especially true when he's feeling um, so ashamed. And oh. shame is such a powerful, powerful force in the negative direction, shutting him down, uh, forcing him into fight, flight, or freeze. And it's really difficult when he is the cause of his wife 
being there on the fetal in, in the fetal position on the floor. And that's most of what we see and what we deal with is the man is the one with problem, problematic sexual behavior and the wife is um, the uh, betrayed partner spouse. But certainly it's the other way around in many cases as well. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the woman, and, and there are so many women that are also uh, addicted to porn and, and having affairs and so on too. So I don't want to leave that out, but um, yeah, when we talk, when we mention the, the uh, you know, those pronouns, that's definitely what we mostly see. And so I don't know what it might look like for the woman who, who has is struggling with unwanted sexual behavior and how much empathy she might have. But um, I actually do know of a case uh, that, um, the you know the woman she doesn't it's, it really it really almost sounds identical to the guys who struggle where she's telling him it's all your fault that that I went and had this affair and you know it's it, it it's like line for line she is behaving the same way that the guys are so I don't know if that's um, true in in most or all cases as well but yeah the idea of empathy I think personally all human beings could use a training and, and, and a dose of understanding how to have more empathy anyways, because we tend to be self-centered, narcissistic individuals. I think mm -hmm. it's part of the human nature. We need to kind of unlearn that. All of us need, need something and some help, but it's especially true in these cases that you're dealing with, that you well, want I, to deal with. I think you're spot on. And, and truly in my practice, when I was helping him to have more empathy for how she felt, and you said it, fight, flight, or freeze, and the men I worked with had that tendency to avoid. They'd go into the garage, they'd leave the house. They weren't able to lean into her pain, which is exactly what they need to do, but it's so painful to watch that and to be a part of that and know you caused it. And so that's why I wrote Help or Heal. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted a, a simplistic workbook that went into her traumatized brain and then feelings, feeling identification, and then her needs, and then triggers and how to bust those triggers, and then empathy, because men need a formula. They need to know how to use it. And it may sound rote, it may sound scripted, but they need to begin to say, I want to acknowledge I caused this pain right off the bat. It diffuses yeah. a partner's emotions. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, to help her identify that feeling and then reassure her of the changes he's making. And if he's in my office, more often than not, he's making changes. He's making big changes. He's going to your group. He's mm -hmm. talking to mentors. He's checking in. He's going to my therapy group. He's praying, meditating, uh, reading, journaling. I mean, he's doing some new behaviors that are going to keep him clean. Yeah. We also want him to work on his skills with her. And so I, I found early on, call them both in, make sure she's getting her needs met, make sure she knows that there are groups for women so she can get some support and that there are books and podcasts and let her know what she can do. And what I found from that point on is that they really wanted to talk together. Just a beautiful thing that naturally evolved 
from the work that I did with sex addicts. And Lord knows we need mediators when we're having those conversations together, especially in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> yeah, um, just backing up for a second, the thought that just came to mind was um, the whole idea of a kid falling off their bike or whatever, and the parents are rushing in there and saying, oh, you're, you're all, you're better, don't cry, you know, just, just get back up, let's get you back on the bike, you know, and um, that, that whole scenario I think I think that there's damage in in telling people to shut down their emotions um, from from childhood from birth even you know mm -hmm. and I know that I was guilty of that and my daughter is crying and I'm like I have no idea what to do <laughs> she's mm -hmm. crying she's hysterical mm -hmm. feed her change the diaper you know whatever it is but um, so so often and then for men that uh, and back to what you were just describing, I think um, it's like a different language. It really feels like that to <laughs> enter into uh, empathizing, but understanding feelings, you know, um, guessing what, uh, what feeling that my wife is going through was, and still can be confusing and, and, and even, um, the opposite of empathy when i when i look at her and i'm like oh you look afraid and she's like no i'm not i'm this and like you know what do you do in those cases isn't it better just to ask what are you feeling right now how are you feeling rather than try to guess is it empathy when i guess you're feeling and i get it right 10 percent of the time but all the other times you're like no that's not what i'm feeling <laughs> Well, I think it matters not as long as there's clarification so that you understand her better. Yes, it's good to ask the question. Now, my formula asks him to identify her primary feeling so that he can get better at knowing that. And if she says 43 times, I'm not sad, I'm angry, he'll begin to get, oh, that's what anger looks like. Um, but they're pretty good. I mean, the men that I work with are really pretty good at identifying feelings after they get the hang of it. They have the hardest time with the empathy formula and help her heal. Um, they have the hardest time when they're actually reassuring her because that third piece is reassurance of the fact that he's working on things and he's moving forward. And most of the men I meet are in such a shame-based place, they don't feel like they have the right to acknowledge that they're going to four meetings a week or that they called their sponsor today or that they do want to do check-ins. You know, I don't know about you, but truly, if there's one area that a, a wife wants from her husband it's the, those check-ins on a regular basis she wants to know what's going on in him mm. so check-ins are so important and oftentimes it, it gets moved to the side it gets forgotten you know when life gets busy it goes on the back burner and he has to keep it on the front burner and that'll really help that communication process and that's what we're really doing here. I know that you talk to the guys about communication and so do I. And um, I just found that ultimately it was more effective 
to do it with her there. And actually, Michael, what I did was I started, well, no, I started listening to my clients and my female clients were looking at the book and reading his answers, agreeing with some and disagreeing with others. And so I said, well, let's come in and talk about it. What do you mean? Willing. You know, I have an exercise called the willingness exercise. What's he willing to do to keep her safe? Yeah. And he had to come up with 25 things that he's willing to do. Might be as simple as put covenant eyes on your phone. That's a filtering system. Or it might be as, as hard as do check-ins every night. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes she would say, you know, he'd say, I'll do polygraphs. And she'd say, I want you to stop the polygraphs. I want to start trusting you face-to-face, in-person, without them. That was a huge moment for a couple when they'd been working on their relationship that she no longer needed that evidence, that proof. She wanted to begin to trust him again on her own. And so I found that the book was pretty successful for both of them if I used it together. And, you know, you mentioned Urkham, and Urkham is the early recovery couple's empathy model. And it's a model I created from Helper Heal and also from my work with APSATS, which is a partner-sensitive organization that teaches clinicians and coaches all over the world how to work with partners. And I actually train for them. I teach it. And the blend of the two was just amazing. And so I developed a certification program to help professionals work with couples because to be real honest, this is the hardest work in the world. Working with betrayed partners in a coupleship to reconnect when they really wonder what part of their life is real. They thought they knew what was real and it wasn't. They're afraid they're never gonna get the truth. They don't have any real hope for the future. And you and I know we can give them hope again. We can give her hope again, and we can give them hope again if they do the hard work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing to see that too. Mm -hmm. The the marriages that, and not all of them make it, but the ones that are resurrected are pretty amazing to see that. Very amazing. So I think... um, when I'm, when I'm thinking about the whole process that couples go through, right, there's this discovery, maybe there's a confession, but most of the time, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but most of the time, and back to the pronouns, you know, the husband and the wife, the husband gets caught or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, she mm-hmm. finds his pornography. She finds the affairs, text messages on his phone, whatever it is, and it's out in the open. Um they go through a process partially out in the open right exactly right yeah Mm -hmm. five to ten percent maybe uh out out in the open and they need professional help to walk them through him disclosing the rest of it and then verifying that she has everything she needs with a polygraph test Mm -hmm. Uh, that's typically the way and and please you know that this needs to be done with a trained professional. This is not something that uh, I see. You guys, guys send me messages and say, 
can you suggest a polygraph examiner? And I say, tell me your therapist's name first. <laughs> you know, who is it that you're working with? And I'd be mm -hmm. happy to provide some information to them. You know, mm -hmm. I really want you to understand that you cannot rush into doing this by yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't go see a polygraph examiner by yourself and try and try and move through this. I've never seen that be successful. So um, the couples that that we do see that make it and these these marriages that are resurrected, they go through that process. And then um, I think starting there, the tools and the steps and the things that you recommend. Um, so the so the you know the, the IRCM is early recovery couples empathy. Mm -hmm. Right. So you you mentioned a couple of things, check-ins, uh regular check-ins, what um uh, that would be one of the steps. What are, what are some other steps? And um, what is it that you really recommend for a check-in by the way? Yeah. What was, what does that look like? And some of the other early steps yeah. that you recommend for couples? Well, let me backtrack for a second. Um, I do not think our couples who have just had discovery should be in doing any couples therapy for a year and a half. But what I do think they need is early recovery couples work, which looks like couples therapy, but what it is, is teaching the relational skills to provide more safety and stabilization for her. You know, I believe in the uh, Judas Herman trauma model that APSATS uh, adopted, and that that model says, and if anybody's ever read My Unleashing Your Power, you've heard this before, but that there are three stages of partner betrayal. The first is safety and stabilization. We as professionals need to get them into a place where they feel safe, where they've heard the truth, where they're more stabilized. They're not, their amygdala is not in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, and she can breathe. The second phase is anger, grief, mourning, and loss. And, you know, we need to help her work through that anger, that hurt, that betrayal in a way that's safe and effective. And it's interesting because in Unleashing Your Power, I teach her how to do that by herself. But what I know is if she's got somebody who's working on his recovery and he's making great strides, he can help her with that process and it expediates the process. It, it makes it faster. And when I say faster, I mean for them to be able to get to that third phase, which is post-traumatic growth. Now, APSATS calls it restoration of self, restoration of the coupleship, maybe, depending on him. And of, of course, her too. But if she wants things to work out, he's got to be in good recovery. And then restoration of, of the relationship with God, our higher power. Because you know, when something like this happens, a partner says, God, how could you have done this to me? How could you have let this happen? Why didn't you let me know 10 years ago? Um, and she feels betrayed by God and her own intuition. And so... Irkham helps her and helps them to go through those three phases relationally with skills. 
And so I always say, I never want a couple sitting on the couch talking ever again. I want them facing each other. I want them to do knees to knees. I want them looking at each other's eyes. I want him listening to her. I'm wanting him to reflect back what he heard. I'm wanting them to do exercises together. I'm wanting her eventually to write out what she's willing to do. You know, if there was one criticism of Help or Heal, it was that it gave the partner all the power. And to be real honest, I do think she should be in the driver's seat initially in the relationship after discovery because she's been the one that's been betrayed and she deserves to help to decide what she needs to feel safe. So she's in the driver's seat. So she may be in a power position like this and he may be here, but eventually I want them to meet in the middle again. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do with these relational skills. And you and I both know that after discovery, if he's got, I say, 90 days recovery, they do a disclosure. Now, different people do it different ways in terms of they may say, no, six months, uh, no, a year uh, sobriety. I say 90 days because I don't want her to have to wait. She's in agony. She's in torture. He can get good recovery in 90 days and practice skills that he's learning at Men in the Battle the living truth, mm -hmm. um, he can get those skills and sobriety in 90 days. I'm not saying that he may not have a slip, but he won't go back to prostitution. He won't go back to escorts. He won't go back to massage parlors. He won't go back to pornography because he's already learned that his biggest sex organ is the brain. It's not his genitalia. It's his brain. And he's got to shut down the neural pathways of addiction and build healthy substitutions, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that's what IRCAM is. It teaches them what those healthy behaviors are. And he helps her grieve everything. And I, it's not a fast process. This, it takes 18 months for her to really feel stabilized. Now, have I met women that did it in six? Oh, absolutely. But I know it takes about 18 months for both of them to have that experience of feeling settled in their new behaviors. Mm -hmm. And um, it's all about brain science. Mm -hmm. And so then when they feel stabilized, now it's time to do the work. And, and we've got lots of exercises and help them heal that helps them to do the work together. Now, do I advise that they have an IRCM specialist, somebody who's been trained in this material? Yes. The book um, has people that have been trained. I've trained 80 people with another probably 40 to be trained in um, the future, in the fall. Mm -hmm. But if a therapist reads my book, Help Them Heal, he or she can go through the exercises with the couple. It's written for the couple. Mm -hmm. And the three of them can do a better job than if they just work with somebody off the street that doesn't understand 
sex addiction and, and partner betrayal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just wanted to comment on what you said about uh, the wife being in the driver's seat. And uh, mm-hmm. I, as you know, what I tell guys, um, well, all, all these guys know that they, they have a choice. I mean, they could leave the relationship. They can, and, and unfortunately, I've seen guys that go off and marry the affair partner, whatever it is, right? Um, for her to set boundaries to say, you know, if you want to stay in this relationship, here's what I'm going to need from you in order for you to feel safe, in order for her to feel safe. She needs these things, right? It isn't, it isn't control. It isn't payback. It isn't manipulation, but it's like, this is what I need. And of course, you need to stop behaving this way. I mean, that's pretty standard. You're not going to go see the affair partner anymore. And I, so, so I tell guys, the idea is, um, you can look at it a couple of different ways. I mean, if it's ultimatums, uh, we have been attached. So so many guys have started getting attached to pornography and unhealthy sexual behavior as a young child. And you talked about that early on. Well, these kids that are getting exposed to porn at such a young age, they find their parents, you know, porn, whatever it is. And we're getting attached to this at, you know, I, I know a story of a guy who who was exposed to porn at three years old, right? So sometimes we need an ultimatum to dislodge that attachment that we have to this unhealthy behavior. And so I think that we, you know, I tell the guys, you, you need to change your perspective and look at this as this is what she needs. You need to love her well. You need to do these things for her as a gift, as, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it really, it really is uh, just the idea of, of healing and, and doing this for her, but it also is for you as well. It's for the marriage. It's what's going to help resurrect this is doing whatever she asks you to do. Right. Um, so yes, it isn't, uh, don't look at it as she's controlling everything I do and, you know, he can he can certainly regress and act like a child and say, she's controlling me. Well, yeah, that's uh, the pers- the perspective I think is everything, you know, and he needs to make restitution, you know, so giving, you know, doing these things that she asks him to do, uh, looking at it as, as a gift to her, as this is, this is what it's going to take. And a living amends, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is. And, uh, so many of these guys that go through a, uh, some, sometimes a separation is needed. Sometimes it's a residential separation. He's living somewhere else, maybe an in-house separation. He has to move to the basement. You know, I say sometimes you need to break something apart in order to put it back together the right way, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what you're talking about is starting to rebuild then by knees to knees, having these conversations, looking into the eyes of your spouse and and beginning to build empathy the intimacy that's always been missing from the marriage you know starting there is so healthy and so good unfortunately you know the what's what's on the table is horrific with the betrayal but um so it's really a mixed bag it's it's really horrific and it's and it's so good for the marriage at the same time to begin to build i mean the tools and the things that you're teaching is so good right and you know, um, empathy is a hard skill to teach. And so Teresa Wiseman, who is a, a nursing scholar, 
gave Brene Brown the four characteristics of empathy, and they are um, being able to take somebody's perspective. That's number one. Doing it non-judgmentally. So he may be going, okay, I get that I heard her, but now all she does is yell at me and I'm tired of it. I mean, it makes me sick. This is one of the reasons that I, and he goes on, well, that's being judgmental. So we have to take that element out of it. Third thing is being able to assess somebody's emotions. And that's why that feeling identification is so important. And then the fourth is being able to label it. And you nailed it when you said addicts tend to go into shame. And so in IRCAM, we talk about it's important for the wife to understand that deep down inside, He's in the fetal position on the floor. He's not showing her that. But now that the addiction has lifted and he's working some good recovery, he can't believe that he did this to her. You know, she says, how could you have done this to me? I thought you loved me. Why would you do this to somebody you love? Understandably. But he's really going, whoa, when I said what she didn't know wouldn't hurt her. When I said, all guys do this, when I said that I was going to stop tomorrow, all those excuses, justifications, rationalizations, um, he realizes perpetuated his addiction. And now he's watching her in great pain and he's in great pain. And they're both traumatized, but he doesn't show his trauma. He, the old guy, if he didn't get some help, would listen to her and get defensive and walk out. Right. Because he's in recovery now. He's going to his meetings. Leave me alone. You know, <laughs> I'm not telling you what I'm doing. That's my business. That's not your business. But the new school of thought and the new way we work with couples, both in Urkham, and I know you work with couples in the same way, is that you believe it's about sharing what he's doing so she'll know and feel safer. It's not about she gets to know everything he does. It's about you two are a couple and let's talk about how you're doing this teamwork and in help them heal. I also really asked her to get on board because I said before, if there's one criticism I had from help her heal, it was that it gave the wife too much power. And the truth is, this was the start of the work I wanted them to do and help them heal the book, which teaches them both how to navigate through the betrayal, um, asked her to get on board too and start looking at him with empathy and start looking at that addiction with empathy. And if there's one woman who doesn't heal, it's the woman that doesn't want to believe that this was an addiction, that he had free choice. And we do know that if she's been betrayed with four different discoveries over 40 years, he did have a choice. He knew what those recovery tools were. He yeah. gave into his addiction and he didn't use the skills and the tools that he needed to. Now she has every right to not believe that 
he was doing everything he could because he wasn't. But for the newbie, for the person that just realized the discovery, um, he probably didn't have those resources available to him. He might have looked at what he could do to get some help, but the addiction drew him in more than the help did. But once discoveries occurred the first time, mm -hmm. he has what he needs to stay healthy. And this is not going to be a popular thing I'm going to say, but I do believe that, you know, addiction is a process and he might look at ads, um, lingerie ads to see if he can maneuver that. That is the addiction trying to grab hold of him again. And sometimes men do that to find out, no, they can't do that. And good recovery really is figuring out how do you treat sexual provocation like a bad drug every single time. And most men I work with are really good at following through with both their individual recovery and their relational recovery. Um, and then they give back. I mean, that's what you've done. You are giving back 24 seven, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And your wife is too. I mean, you are the epitome as a couple of post-traumatic growth. <laughs> yeah, and we have some really incredible volunteers and staff as well, who uh, they're the exact same. Um, yeah, you do. That, that uh, <laughs> they're, they're giving back and it's, yeah, it is fabulous. And that's not for everyone because no. certainly for so many women who go into facilitating women in the battle groups and do that, I mean, it's re-traumatizing to hear these stories over again, uh, mm -hmm. to hear what other women are going through. And that could be really difficult. But you, you mentioned um, something I wanted to go back to was the no couples therapy for a year and a half and mm -hmm. uh, comment mm -hmm. on. So so what do you mean by that? What is couples therapy? Are you talking about couples that are going through all of the problems that uh, are not related to the sexual addiction? You know, the issues that, of course, there's communication problems, there's other issues that are going on. Um, and then and then talking about the sexuality of the marriage as well. You know, and that um, can be something we need to, a lot of women need to put off for quite a while. Um, but, uh, so many guys I know want to, they, they think that that's what they need early on. Well, we just need to take care of all those other problems. And then I wouldn't behave this way anymore. Well, that's ridiculous too. But so they, so waiting for a year and a half, the idea of couples therapy, yeah, what is that? About? Well, okay. So again, Urkham, the early recovery couples empathy model is used in early recovery couples work. And that's when you're navigating the safety and, and you're doing what appears to be couples therapy. You're doing some grieving and mourning and, and anger work. Um, I don't advocate for couples therapy for a year and a half because I really think she has to be safe and stable. And couples therapists don't know how to do that. They haven't right. been trained. Um, and they don't know to build those relational skills 
that are necessary to take the person to couples therapy. And so there's some teaching and some practicing and some living that has to occur before they can start dealing with the nuances of their life. You know, we know sex addiction is never about sex. It's not that their sex life wasn't good enough, even if it wasn't. That's not why he developed sex addiction. His addiction started at age eight, you know? That may be the excuse he told himself to rationalize his behavior. Right. And they may need to work on their sex life. Hmm. Uh, we have a, a, a chapter in here about how do you develop sexual intimacy? And I ask for the couple to develop their physical intimacy, what feels safe, their emotional intimacy, that's those check-ins. And what does she need? What does he need emotionally to bring them closer? They're social, they're intellectual, they're spiritual, and then they're purposeful intimacy. So they gotta be working on the safer intimacies first before they get to sex. Now, the truth is we have couples that have sex the night of discovery. Typically she feels like she has to to prove to herself that he wants her. Um, it's almost a reaction, but that's okay too. I mean, if, if we've got couples that are having sex anyway, good for them. They may not be as affected sexually as they are emotionally. Hmm. And we have couples who aren't able to resume sex for a couple of years. That's okay too. What do we need to build in that safety so that you can begin to take those baby steps towards a healthier sexuality? Mm-hmm. And then I know that a man that works for you has done a video for me, which he's, he allows me to share in trainings that says, you know, it's been many years and they've not had sex because she doesn't feel safe enough yet even though he's working a perfect program. Well, not a perfect, but you know, a good, strong program. Right, right. And he's accepting that because he Mm -hmm. says, you know what? I got a lot of other stuff to work on in the relationship. I'm putting our sex life on the back burner. Well, good for him, you know, that he can do that. So sex is one of those things we talk about towards the end of the IRCM process before we get them to couples therapy. Uh Uh-huh, right. This is so needed, Carol. Thank you so much for uh, all the material that you put together. The time that you've invested in these workbooks and the training is priceless. Uh, really, the lives and the ripple effect. I mean, we really have no idea how many lives, you know, the children of these couples and so on. Just it's in, it's incredible the amount of help um, and, and uh, recovery that's produced. So um, let, let's talk about resources real quick. And um the your websites and something that's coming up in October that we talked about. Yeah, all that. absolutely. Um, if you go to my website, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach, it will trans it'll transition into help them heal, and that is obviously the name of the book, and it's about couples work. And on that site, there are probably. 30 videos uh, on this work and what they can do to get started. And there are probably 30 podcasts that are, um, well, they're all my podcasts because I I have the oldest podcast in the world. 
I started the first sex addiction podcast before there was any other sex addiction podcast out there. Wow. And after a year, I found out 51% were women listening to my show. And I was like, what? Those aren't sex addicts. Those are whites that want to understand what's going on with their husband. Um, So they can get a lot of information. What I'm really excited about is that we have a workshop for couples and it's October 8th from 10 to six. Um, You can go to the website and sign up and it's an all day experience on the book, help them heal. And you can do the book, help them heal, but it's kind of thick. I mean, I want you to do the book. I want you to find a therapist who can help you. But I also would like to be a contact person for you to help you on a workshop level um, to work through and navigate partner betrayal. And so that workshop's open to, we started, we said 10 couples, then we said 12, and now we're just gonna see. I mean, we're gonna keep it small and intimate, but we're really excited about the possibility of this work transforming lives and then couples helping to teach this work once they're over in post-traumatic growth. So that is the Helping You Heal workshop, again, October 8th from 10 to 6 Eastern time. And that's open. Do you recommend couples that um, are anywhere in that timeline? Anywhere. After it's been discovered, whether they've done the disclosure or not, or whatever the case it is. Yeah, Yeah, because it's going to expose them to what they need and why. Why is the disclosure so important? A formal therapeutic disclosure. And I'll tell you a little secret about his wife. She sat in with one of my clients who needed a support person. And I swear, I thought I trained her. She did disclosure so beautifully and was so supportive. And she's really got the gift. And I know for the men that have worked with you, you got it too. So it's just so nice to have professionals that realize how important this work is. And they do it with diplomacy and they do it with delicacy. And they they always put their clients first. Thank you, Michael, for everything you do.